As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Lisa Abramowitz, along with Tom Keene and Jonathan Farrow. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business app. Let's get to it. It is an important conversation on a day devoted to celebrating retail sales. Let's head over to Macy's in New York City's Herald Square, where Bloomberg's Caroline Hyde is joined by the company's CEO, Jeff Gannett. Caroline. Lisa and Gina, it is a joy to be with you, with Jeff Gannett. Of course, on a day where people queue, they run in, the celebration is upon us, your Super Bowl. What are they buying today for Black Friday? So they're buying everything on their gift list. And they're buying, that's really generally in luxury. So fine jewelry, they're buying cashmere, they're buying outerwear for the entire family. Um, Hostess gifts in our home store, but they're also home prep. Uh, We've got great deals, as we always do for Black Friday, going all the way through the holiday season. So we are ready. We've got all of our key items, you know, loaded to bear. Here we are in Herald Square. It was a good opening. We had a great day online yesterday uh, during uh, Thanksgiving. I mean, you said that on your earnings, which were, what, but a week ago. Yes. That this gets earlier and earlier. It does. Black Friday, the competition. How important are the next few days and the run-up to the holidays? Oh, it's still very important. So, you know, when you think about kind of Black Friday deals really started it right after Halloween is when they started. But this is still a pilgrimage. You've got, you know, America is traveling and they are in homes and they're coming into stores just like this one today. They're online. They've been online all the way through. Uh, So it's very, very important. So when we look at kind of Black Friday through Cyber Week, Mm. then we go into a lull. It's like 10 days where people kind of reset. And then those last 10 days become increasingly important. So it's one of the three stages right now that we are at the kind of the Christmas shopping is the one we're in right now, the first. What, of course, your earnings showed so clearly is that it's about inventory management in many ways at the yes. moment and you've been managing to ace that how are you ensuring you got the right thing at the right time for a consumer that basically we're all trying to understand right yes. now so obviously the consumer's under pressure but they still love gifts and so we want to make sure that we've got all the right gifts and we've got all the right stock content in them so i just walked this entire store to really understand where we are in all of the content across all of our categories and we're in great shape and that's really in tribute to the amount of work we've been putting in inventory control and when it comes to online versus in store in retail this is how you've been shifting the company in particular people aren't perhaps having the footfall in malls they're coming to one-off stores they're going to smaller store experiences but e-commerce has just been the focus how are you managing to be at the right time in the right place 
for an omni-channel pledge. So, so. really, the, the strength of Macy's and Bloomingdale's and Blue Mercury is that we're omni-channel and we're on omni-category. So what you have is you have customers that are shopping online, they want to come into a store and try it on, and they maybe are transacting on the couch later that night. So the opportunity to make it as convenient for the customer as possible, however and whenever they want to shop. So that's our beauty, and doing that with a national footprint, with a great website, is what we depend on. And of course, why you've got such a great bird's eye perspective, because you do have Bloomingdale's for the higher end, more luxury yes. purchaser, and then more income breadth when it comes to Macy's. What are we seeing in terms of the consumer? Are they going to be spending more? Are they going to be pulling back? So you do have customers that are under pressure. And so when you think about the inflation is still high, it's abating from the, the, the change of the inflation rate from last year, but it's still higher than it was last year. And customers have got a limited budget. Some of it is they're spending it in experiences and then in our discretionary categories. So we want to make sure that we've got the right price points across that entire spectrum. But you still give gifts. And this is where Macy's and Bloomingdale's and Blue Mercury shine. So when you have this gift, somebody on your gift list, we're going to have the right content for you at the right price point. And we spend from when Black Friday ends to where we are right now, we've been spending a year getting ready for that. And we do trial runs on Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, to make sure we've got the right gifts. I think we're ready. You're ready. People are worried, analysts might be worried, that you're kind of managing decline at the moment. What would you say to a comment like that? Look, I think that if, if we weren't a department store today, we would invent one. So the idea about having multi-categories, being able to do that in multi-channels, we now have been able to get new categories in as a result of Marketplace, which is now online at both Bloomingdale's and in Macy's. So I, I bet on department stores, and obviously I've made my career doing this. And it is a, you know, it's still very, very relevant. You know, we're obviously looking at where traffic is moving from on-mall to off-mall. We're obviously testing that in both Bloomingdale's with the Bloomies format and with Macy's with Macy's. And so we're going to be ready for where the customer is evolving. And we've got very strong assets to be able to do that, both on mall and obviously online. Evolving into a world where we're all using chatbots and artificial intelligence in front and center. These are sort of areas of investment? Yes, absolutely. Because when you think about AI and machine learning, think about when we have 40 million customers at Macy's, 4 million at Bloomingdale's, we know them very well. So to have all that data and be able to start to personalize content and values for those customers is where this is all going. How do you make your brand more relevant? And that is at a customer level. It's no longer broad-based promotion. It's the opportunity to be able to, I know Caroline, and based on what you buy, what you might be interested in, and to be able to serve that up and the way you want it served up is really the, the secret of success for an omnichannel retailer going forward. You, of course, just mentioned throughout your career this is what you've been doing. Yes. For those who don't realize, you've worked at the Macy's brand for more than 40 years. Yes. And this is your last Black Friday. Yes. And of course, CEO since 2017. You have been thought of as a turnaround focus, the Polaris, the way in which you have thought about personalization to e-commerce. You weathered, a, of course, the COVID in and of itself. Do you feel that you've got the play, this Macy's where you want it to be as you look towards this being your last Black Friday? Yeah, look, when I reflect back on my career, and certainly in my time in CEO, I didn't accomplish everything that was on my list. But look, the focus on relevant content, on amazing values, and on customer experience is, is clearly the path forward. And I couldn't be more you know, excited about my successor, who is more than ready to be able to do this. He knocked the, you know, the cover off the ball with respect to Bloomingdale's and what he was able to do there, how he was able to kind of help turn around the strategy of Blue Mercury. He's now going to do that for Macy's Inc. So he's got a good game plan, and he's going to make it better. Jeff Gannett. We thank you so much for spending time with us on what is your last Black Friday, but not still got a few more days in the and of course the job he's here until February as the CEO and CEO elect Tony Spring. But with that, we send it back to you in the studio. Thank you so much. Bloomberg's Caroline Hyde and Macy's CEO Jeff Gannett on his last Black Friday on the floor talking about the importance of gifts.
nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Joining us to give us his review of the scene from White Plains, Joe Feldman, Senior Research Analyst and Assistant Director of Research at Telsey Advisory Group. This is sort of the tradition. You wake up early, I assume, and you go out to see what's going on in the different stores. Can you just give us a rundown of what your uh, first take is this year? Yeah, so I did get up early, uh, as you said, part of the tradition, and it was very quiet out there. I was in a Best Buy and a uh, Target so far. Uh, not too many stores are open yet. You know, Best Buy, Target, Dick's Sporting Goods were all open around 6 a.m. And uh, the traffic is light. They're all ready for the Black Friday day. Uh, you know, they're well stocked. The signage was great. A lot of employees in the store. Just not a lot of people yet. And I think that's because you can get a lot of the goods and those prices earlier. I mean, you could have gotten it yesterday online. You could have gotten it the past week, really. Um, and a lot of these stores, they started their Black Friday sales uh, much earlier uh, than we've seen in the past. And, and I think that that's, you know, just elongating the season and also less of a rush to get out first thing in the morning for that doorbuster. Joe, I want to really key in on this idea that many of the retailers are not open yet, because my recollection is over the last couple of years, we were extending the opening hours among retail. We had a lot of retailers even opening a few years ago on Thanksgiving, as opposed to waiting to open early on Black Friday. What's the change here? Is it really just the overall extension of the season and and the advent of online retail as a really critical component of our shopping strategy? Or is there a labor component to this? Is there something to do with lack of labor, lack of available labor, and also some pushback from labor as to what they're willing to do? You know, I think that's a great point because I do think that labor um, isn't component here where, you know, the, the retailers have decided that, you know, look, given the volumes that they've seen in the past couple of years, and maybe it's better to, to treat their employees better and, you know, maybe not have everybody out at midnight on, on Black Friday or even, you know, at the end, uh, you know, 6, 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving, like we saw several years ago, um, you know, where the, the traffic into the store just wasn't enough to warrant a spending on the labor and B, you know, giving labor a break and giving the, the store employees a chance to, to rest and enjoy the holiday with their families and then come in refreshed for the next day. I do think that by elongating the season, um, that helped alleviate some of that stress. 
and puts less emphasis on just this Black Friday alone. I do think we're going to see a pretty decent day in the, the malls later and out in the stores, but and for the whole weekend. But again, you know, it's just a, a longer period that we're seeing. Okay, so a decent day that today, a decent weekend potentially. What does that mean for that longer period? What do, what are you expecting for holiday sales? We had a pretty good conversation with Wells Fargo earlier this morning. They're looking at five percent retail sales growth, which frankly doesn't sound too bad. Uh, given long-term average pace of sales growth this time of year is about four. That sounds pretty decent, pretty optimistic. What are you at Telsey Group thinking? Yeah, the 5% seems a little bit optimistic, but we've seen quite a few people with, you know, estimates somewhere in that 3 to 5% area. At Telsey Advisory Group, our formal estimate is 35 to 4%. Um, We we did it two ways. We looked at it bottom-up, just like looking at all the forecasts for the companies. We also looked at it top-down, just looking at the macro data of all the U.S. government retail sales. Three and a half, four percent. We felt like, as you said, that four percent or so is kind of the long-term average, and it feels like this is going to be a bit more of a normal year like that. So, Joe, i got to be honest, the main topic of discussion at my household for Thanksgiving was generative AI and how it's going to transform our world. Um, I know it sounds like a scintillating uh, holiday discussion, <laughs> but I'm curious from your vantage point. Lisa has a particularly nerdy house, but 100%, that's okay. 100%. It's okay. I embrace it, but I'm curious, you know, how much that's changing the way people shop. I mean, given the fact that a third of people, respondents to the survey that I was reading, uh, are using some generative AI to figure out how to shop. I mean, how is this shifting the way that some of these companies uh, really try to cater to their customers? So I think the retailers are starting to embrace it. It still feels very early for it, though. And the quality of the generative AI, the, the responses you get is somewhat mixed. But the retailers are working aggressively to try to help, you know, do things more efficiently for their own organizations and also serve the customer better. You know, if you think about the chatbots that you get when you go online or, you know, maybe if the the large language model generative AI have more natural responses and better quality responses. I think that's coming. It's not quite here yet, but people are embracing it. And I think that the retailers are all trying to get there. Um, But it's really... I think a a couple of years away before we're going to see a major impact from it. Although, if you take it a step further, Joe, there there was something else, you know, just sort of in the in the catastrophic rate realm of talk, which is also, you know, <laughs> makes dinners really exciting. I'm curious about, you know, what this means for the employment picture. We're talking about labor, and it's actually very much connected to what you were just talking about with Gina. You know, you don't have to pay a robot to work during the holidays. How much is there this feeling of, you know, cash registers mm-hmm. that are self-checkout, uh, different programs that can do personal shopping for you? I mean, there's a, an evolution to this that can really cut back some of the base costs for these retailers. How much are we seeing that in the stores at this point? At at this point, I think it's still relatively low because of that particular technology, generative AI. But I do think that we have seen technology reduce costs for retailers, make them run more efficiently. We've seen, as you mentioned, you know, automated self-checkout or assisted self-checkout now. You can have one person manning five or six registers at the same time. You know, it's a lot more efficient. And then you can get people onto the floor to help the customers. You can stock the the aisles better. So there's a lot that you can do. And then on the back end, just on the supply chain side, there's so much you can do. Now, retailers have been embracing AI and machine learning for years. The generative part is where it's new, and that's still yet to come. And, you know, my understanding is a lot of the retailers, they're still staffing up. 
you know, they still need the, the people to even be able to, to harness it and the data, you know, the software engineers to really write the code and to really embrace it. And, you know, I do think there's an important element here where people are, are, are so crucial to the system because it does create those jobs for people, you know, maybe more skilled labor on the software engineering side. Also, within the store, you still want customer facing people. You still want people to help the customer. And so I think it just changes the tasks for labor within the store rather than necessarily cut labor too, too thin. Joe, can we talk a little bit about the broader competitive landscape for a retailer right now? Because I'm struck by this idea that consumers are still very focused on experiences, on spending on services, on going to restaurants. What, how are retailers thinking about not just their competition with their fellow retail, but their general competition for consumer dollars in an environment where consumers are clearly preferring to go and spend on services relative to goods? Yeah, you know, the, I think the retailers are doing two things. One is they're trying to create a more exciting environment and more more of an experience itself within the store or if you're shopping online, have a more, uh, more efficient experience, a better fun experience, one of discovery, treasure hunt to some extent at some stores. The other part is innovation. Whenever we see innovation in product, whether it's, you know, apparel, uh, you know, furnishings or, or, or electronics, the consumer tends to respond. And so, you know, when we have had that innovation, we, you know, the consumer responds, we're trying to push innovation a bit more from the retail side. But I do think the retailers have been very prudent in the, their outlook, understanding that services spending is still, you know, recovering actually from where, you know, to get back to even pre-pandemic levels. So we're not fully there yet. So I think the assumption is that you will see continued spending on services. The retailers are just trying to find a way to create exciting merchandise to get people to buy that at the same time. And that's also why I think we're going to see a decent holiday season because the consumer has money. They're just spending in different pockets right now. And I think that that selective or choiceful spending, as, as some have said, you know, is really where you can see that shift. Now the time is, you know, the holiday season, gift giving. I think that's where you're going to see that shift back. You know, maybe come first quarter, you know, winter, uh, people want to get away. Travel starts to happen again with school breaks in the February, March time for a period. Joe Feldman, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, happy holidays. Joe Feldman of Telsey Advisory Group, thank you for being with us. Justin Wolfer is professor of economics at the University of Michigan, taking a look at Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving disinflation, saying, well, the cost of living is up and consumer perception is that everything is more expensive. The price of your holiday dinner actually fell from a year ago. The price of turkey down more than 5%, stuffing down almost 3%, cranberries down 18%. Pumpkin pie lovers, though, that price up almost 4%. I did make a pumpkin pie, and actually, I did notice that. Uh, Justin joining us now. Justin, it's interesting that you put this out. It seems like, yes, it is interesting just on the face level of Thanksgiving, but there's a deeper message here about kind of where there is disinflation and how that isn't necessarily showing up in consumer sentiment. What's your take on that? Lisa, I'm glad you saw the deeper message. Look, the deeper message was almost a form of performance art. I pretended to care about these individual prices. Um, <laughs> the reality is, if you want to track the cost of living, what you need to do is go and visit hundreds of supermarkets from dozens of cities and sample thousands of goods and have very sophisticated computers to put it all together. And thank goodness we have someone who does that for us called the BLS. And um, instead what we get every year and basically every news cycle is 
some interest group uh, or one side of the political spectrum or another will pretend to obsess and pretend to care about things like the price of turkeys. And actually, the graph that you just showed, I think, was a beautiful teaching point because it's always the case that whether inflation's 2% or whether it's 4%, that there's a bunch of stuff going up a fair bit. And right there, you've got like, oh, that pumpkin pie mix. And I noticed bread rolls are a little bit more expensive <laughs> too. And you've got a bunch of stuff going down, like the price of fresh cranberries. Um, turkey prices are plummeting because, you know, the bird flu is a bit behind us. And so trying to tell the story of the whole economy through graphics like this, and I'm not having a go at Bloomberg because you were honest about it, Lisa, but uh, often the major cable networks are not, uh, is an absurd way of trying to track the macro economy. Let's focus on the data instead. Justin, you uh, correctly note that also... Uh, airline costs are going down. So the cost of services is intriguingly going down year over year on top of the cost of goods going down. In that kind of environment where we are seeing generally prices um, at least rationalizing from sky high pace of inflation over the last couple of years, why are consumers telling us that they're expecting more inflation going forward? Well, I think the simplest model of what's going through consumers' mind is minds. They're not running sophisticated models of the, the form that you are or, or that your viewers might be. Um, they're going to the store. And so um, generally, one of the best ways of predicting inflation is whatever's currently happening is going to continue to happen. And all the rest of the other stuff, what's going on with import prices or oil prices or the output gap, is just a slight modification of that. Um, and consumers, of course, also are incredibly responsive to the most salient prices. The most salient prices obviously being gasoline and I think beyond that food. And so uh, consumer inflation expectations tend to track those things a little bit too much. Now, the problem with this, of course, is what's not salient? Well, the cost of healthcare, care, uh, the cost of education. But these things are a huge part of the consumer basket and um, the cost of housing as well. Um, and so inflation expectations often, or perceptions, may not track reality particularly well at important points because we're a little bit too focused on what we see at the store and not what really matters. So what do you think policymakers will focus on then, perceptions or reality? Well, every policymaker I talk to gets told they should look at the darn data. Um, now, if you're talking about political policymakers, they've got two jobs. One is to figure out what's going on, and the other is to convince the electorate to re-elect them. Some of the genuinely silliest commentary we get on the economy, including and particularly on inflation, comes from congressional representatives, because they're always looking for the juiciest, least representative soundbite that helps their side the most. I worry that if you spend your whole time, you know, all day, every day, saying, for instance, uh, Bidenflation has caused the price of dinner rolls to skyrocket that you might eventually start to believe it. Um, so I think those folks, I really do worry about their view on the economy. Now, I know Jay Powell and our friends at the Fed are a little more sophisticated. Um, they're focusing on the real data. They've got folks pouring over every line of those of, of the CPI, of the PCE and so on. And I think they're uh, telling pretty much the correct story, which is that inflation is moderating there are good reasons to be optimistic it may moderate. Um, one of the most notable things that has happened over the past year, really, is that Jay Powell has started to talk about inflation in terms of supply shocks. That's a real optimism that uh, the bad times were due to supply and the, the supply shocks are behind us, which gives you a whole lot of reason to feel optimistic that the better times are ahead of us.
This sort of speaks to the whole immaculate disinflation idea, that it was just a supply shock right-siding itself, and that there was this transitory, it's sort of back to transitory without saying the T word, mm -hmm. uh, which they were pilloried for. How much are we now starting to see demand side pick up for that, especially with real wages actually turning positive in a more material way with how much inflation is coming in? Well, what really matters for inflation is what's going on with nominal wages. Um, what matters for your, your quality of life is, of course, real wages. Um, and nominal wage growth has been, you know, fairly moderate, um, not far off what would normally be consistent with 2% inflation, if you think about, you know, inflation plus productivity. And, and I think now you've got to have inflation plus productivity plus a little bit of catch up for real wages having not kept up for all of that time. Um, so, you know, I, I see every reason to feel optimistic. Um, there's a deep question here. Ah, is what we're, I mean, the big question you just asked, Lisa, is, is this a, about supply or is it about demand? But actually on the supply side, is it just a bad supply shock exiting the system? Or maybe are we actually on the cusp of a positive supply shock? Are we seeing productivity rise at levels we haven't seen before? Are we seeing um, the economy expand without generating inflation? And we are. That might be what's going on with the immaculate disinflation. And you might say, hey, what caused this positive supply shock? And I'm going to tell you, Lisa, I've never seen a three-year period in my entire history as an economist, in which I saw this many businesses reorganize what they did. We reorganized the economy at a really fundamental level, everything from work from home to supply chains to global shipping routes. And maybe, just maybe, that's pushed back the frontier of what's possible. And um, I, I'm optimistic that's possible, but I think perhaps more interestingly for your viewers, I'm definitely hearing uh, a, a sense from Jay Powell and the Fed that they're starting to believe that maybe is what's happened. Are you going to be shopping today, Justin? Uh, well, I've got a phone and I've got two thumbs and uh, <laughs> I've got a, a really big wish list, so sure. <laughs> well, good luck with all of that. Justin Wolfers, come back again. We love having you on. Uh, Justin Wolfers of the University of Michigan, thank you and have a wonderful a holiday. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Talking about take profits, this is really an exciting conversation for me because I have been on a kick that if you don't spend your points now, you're going to lose them. And we've been point savers 
very much so when it comes to airlines, when it comes to hotels. You save them and you save them, you save them and it feels good, but it doesn't really. Brian Kelly is here to explain why it's a terrible idea to do what I have done for so long. Founder of the Points Guy, let's talk about points inflation. How real is it? Well, Lisa, you're not a point saver, you're a points hoarder. And so many Americans are as well. You know, we get uh, anxiety when it comes time to redeem them. It looks really nice to have a lot of points. But here, listen to me, everyone out there, use your points. Uh, you know, the airlines have officially become banks. You know, there, a lot of airlines are making more money selling uh, their miles to credit card companies than they are by flying planes which means there's more and more miles in the ecosystem and the amount of miles it takes to travel is real. In fact, Southwest Airlines just announced uh, in 2024, their points are gonna be worth less when you redeem them. So key message, use your points now, take that cold hard cash that you would have spent on the travel and put it towards other things. I feel like I have to do some kind of, hi, my name is Lisa Abramowitz and I'm a points hoarder. <laughs> I would like alone. to improve my standing in the world. Brian, how much are you seeing companies have to offer perks, have to offer something to really induce uh, customers to come in, especially as you're starting to see discounts to airline prices and hotel prices, uh, given people have traveled all they want and now they're kind of pulling back a little bit. Yeah, it's, this is actually really good news for consumers because I feel like for the last three years, every time I came on and did segments, it was bad news. You know, rising airfare. Airfare at one point was raising 20% month over month. And we thought like six or 7% inflation was bad. So travelers have been hit the hardest. Finally, we're seeing a reprieve in those fares. And the, the airlines getting hit the worst are the, the budget, you know, domestic carriers because uh, there's still huge demand for international. International airfares, especially in business and first class, are through the roof. It's domestically where people or where the airlines are having trouble. And we're seeing, you know, $111 fares to Puerto Rico this winter, um, you know, $69 to Miami. You know, two years ago, you couldn't fathom $69 to go to Miami. It was, you know, as the, you know, one of the top places to go. So uh, there are good deals out there for consumers right now. Uh, Brian, can you talk a little bit beyond airlines? Where are you seeing the greatest points deflation, I guess, as these points give you no no benefit over time <laughs> to hoard? Is well, it beyond airlines? Is it also car points, points for car rentals, yeah. points for hotels? And are there differences between those sectors? Yeah, so let me, car, car rental programs are pretty much useless. Uh, there's been so much consolidation there. There's only one or two main players. You know, with car rental companies, it's more about the perks and getting elite status. So if you've got an Amex Platinum card, you may get uh, elite status with, you know, National or Hertz. So that's really where I would say, you know, booking directly with car rental companies, it's all about recognition, not waiting in that line. The points are pretty meaningless. Hotels are actually pretty valuable. I would say uh, World of Hyatt just won Best Loyalty Program at the Point Sky Awards. Hyatt's a great program. They've been acquiring more hotels and they are a transfer partner of Chase. So that's the program that I like using the most. I, you can easily get two or three cents per point in value, uh, but Marriott and Hilton are also pretty good programs. But here's my key tip when it comes to loyalty. Don't be loyal to a hotel or an airline. Be loyal to a credit card. The credit card companies are where it's at because you can accrue points in Amex, Chase, or Built, and then you transfer them to a number of different partners. And this allows you to not just bank with one airline or hotel, it gives you a lot of different options when it comes time to redeem. 
What about the credit cards that aren't giving you points necessarily to spend on travel, but for instance, Amazon's credit card, which gives you, uh, you know, credits to spend back at Amazon, or other credit card companies that give you points to spend at retail. How should we be approaching those points systems? Yeah, if you want cash back, I recommend just getting a straight up cash back card. You know, the city double cash basically gives 2% back, no annual fee. That's the gold standard. So instead of getting with, with one retailer that might have some wonky earning, uh, and the Amazon card is pretty good actually for those who shop a lot at Amazon, but instead of just banking with one retailer, get a, an overall cash back card that gives you flexibility because if you get cold hard cash, you can use it if you want travel or on anything else versus with just one retailer. Mm -hmm. It strikes me that why should any company, why should a Delta, United, American try to cater to their loyal clients if this really is the business model, if it's really just about them being an arm, uh, a loyalty arm tied to a credit card company? Well, think about it. You might only fly a couple times a year, but you're using your co-branded credit card every single day. And that's where I think Delta in their recent uh, earnings said 1% of total GDP spend in America is on a Delta co-branded Amex card. So think about that, even that infrequent traveler, Delta's earning money when you go to the grocery store, when you pay for uh, you know, all your expenses in your life. So it's a brilliant business model to bring people in, to give them these points, and then encourage them to fly on the airline, letting them board early. So um, you know, I will just say, while there's been a devaluation in currencies, it costs more miles than ever before, you can also earn more miles. You know, and, and the US is very particular. You can get 100,000 point sign-up bonuses, earning 4X, 5X uh, in certain categories. So not all is lost. You just got to play the game correctly and use the credit cards that reward you where you're spending the most money. What's the most extravagant trip you've ever taken using only points? <laughs> oh, um, well, I, I do love Emirates. Emirates first class on the A380 is an iconic experience. I took my parents on an around the world trip and um, you know they've got a big onboard, onboard bar and my dad and I were drinking, I think $300 a glass. <laughs> Okay, Brian is my new hero. We flew over the <laughs> Himalayas, and and it was like two hundred bucks out of pocket in taxes and fees. It was we were getting that first class experience cheaper than what people paid in coach, and that's why I love points. Oh. Brian Kelly, founder of the Points Guy, we all aspire to be you. Brian, thank you so much for being with us, flying around the world with his parents, drinking three hundred dollar cocktails. Amazing in the United in Emirates Air. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Lisa Abramowitz, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.